We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike, and we're going to talk defense at some point, but we just got some crucial information, breaking news coming in. Today is Mike Trudell's 40th birthday. We've got to celebrate that just a little bit. We, we all realize that Mike's actually the uh, the freshman of the group, right? I'm the junior, I suppose. Darius is the senior. D, before oh, we man. kick this, before Darius we kick this, Darius is the senior. <laughs> Darius is the senior, and you always will be. Yes. <laughs> Look, man. Oh, Dar- Darius, goodness. tell tell me tell me a good Mike Trudell memory uh, in honor of his 40th birthday. Oh, come on. Um, yeah, <laughs> sorry, Mike. We we got to do this. <laughs> no, look, I don't know if I have any like groundbreaking Mike Trudell story. I do remember though when I first realized that the guy who was doing sideline reporting for the Lakers and the dude who I'd see on TV was someone who was following me on Twitter and retweeting some of the stuff that I was writing. And it was a shock to me that there were people like Mike who were who I felt were so accomplished and were working in this world that seemed both so foreign to me, even though I was trying to cover it in my own way, that people like that actually might enjoy or hate read, maybe? I'm not sure what Mike was doing at Foreign Blue and Gold. Probably finding ways to... No, I was being educated, dog. (laughs) But... But it goes back a long time. It's been a long time since I've been watching Trudell work the Lakers sidelines. And so to have him now as like a member of the pod is sort of like surreal to me every time he's Bro, on talking TV. talking to both of you guys. I've been, I've been reading you for years, Trudell, since the late 2000s, right? Watching him on TV, having a pod with both of you guys trips me out every time we log on and I see your guys' faces on Zoom. Mike, though, I, I'm glad you brought up that. I, I remember squealing when I got the Trudell follow on, on Twitter, right? 
But I'll always remember and appreciate like how Mike embraced us early on, right? Remember, I was at Form Blue and Gold with you, and yeah. we we're trying to get in, trying to get credentialed, and that could be tough, especially like kind of the attitude toward blogs and things like that, right? And Mike was always super, just embraced us and and like was very supportive of us. And man, happiest birthday to you, Mike! Uh, really, thank you for everything over the last few years. You got any big plans, man? What? How does it feel to be forty? Look. It's all low key. It's all good. I just I like being the freshman in this particular group. You know, it, it can be fun if you've got a good senior and if you've got a good junior. So we're good. We're good with the freshman status here. OK, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, yeah. you always very aptly deflect uh, from talking about Please. yourself with Stu. I don't know why I would expect it to be any different here on the pod. Happy birthday, Mike. We'll get into it and stop. Well, uh, we're on, we're on the air, you know, we're, well, we're on the air here. So we're, Mike's you know, like, I'm a freshman, but he's not realizing that he's like, you know, fab five freshman. That's right? what I'm saying. So right? yeah, he's, he's like, like starting. Yeah. He's so he's starter, like Chris yeah. Weber or, yeah. you know, Jawad Howard. <laughs> He, right. Like he's yeah. that level, dude. Uh, yeah, right? that, we're we're Palinka coming off of the bench on <laughs> exactly. that team, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> anyway, happy birthday, right, Mike. Are right, we good? <laughs> yeah, only gets only gets better from here. That's it only right. gets better That's from right. here. <laughs> All right, guys. Lakers defense. I want to talk some defense today. Um, one thing that I've I've noticed, uh, I've been actually pretty encouraged with our ability to trap and scramble, but you can't do that for 82 games, 48 minutes a game, especially with the age of this roster and the kind of running demands of it. And so one of the biggest challenges that I think Vogel and the team has right now is the ability to play conservatively, but effectively. When we've defended well, it's been when we're flying around, but I haven't noticed a version of us where we play adequate defense where we're not flying around. And I think we need to find a way to get to a quality conservative defense where you're not expending so much energy. You're not having to fly around, but does that even make sense? What I'm saying D like that idea of being able to hold the PD web had a great term for the architecture of defense. Everybody's in their right spot. When the ball moves to the corner, everybody goes to their position. It gets skipped to the other wing. They're going to rotate over. They ma maintain the integrity of that architecture. We don't do that particularly well. And I think that's something that needs to be solved. I don't have all the answers. I got some ideas, but is that, is that something that you've noticed too D? It has, and it's a good way. So I have noticed that, and the way you're framing it here is, I think, an excellent way of framing NBA defense in general. And, For sure. and so every team, every team in the league, even the worst team in the league, they have a version of themselves defensively where they are playing high-level defense. And one of the reasons why every NBA team doesn't play high-level defense is because the amount of energy it takes to actually play high-level defense is just super hard, right? And not only that, you need a certain amount of physical tools, you need a certain amount of defensive instincts and recognition and understanding, and all of this stuff combines to where, where you're expending both mental and physical effort in order to play a baseline level of defense, right? And the best defensive teams have players that are naturally inclined to play that way more often. And I think you've seen that in the last couple of seasons with some of the Lakers rosters, right? Like two years ago when the Lakers won the championship, they were, I think, third in defense during the regular season. They were a top five defense. Last season, they were number one. And when you have 
guys like Caruso and KCP and to a certain extent, right, like the first year, not as much last year, but Anthony Davis, like Dwight Howard, Danny Even Green, Danny Green. Mm-hmm. right, LeBron James. It's just like on and on and on. You had guys who were inclined to play a baseline level of defense, and that baseline level was pretty high. This year, I feel like the talent isn't the same. The instincts is not the same. Defensive talent, defensive instincts. Um, a lot. There's a lot of newness there. And so I'm not sure if you're going to get that baseline level, Pete, that you're looking for with the players who are available now. I, I think you can try to do a little bit more, a little bit more stuff. Right. You you like you could add a little bit more ingredients to the sauce. Right. Like like let's spice this up a little bit. But every lever that you pull in that direction based off of the talent that's available, I think you're likely to maybe end up with a deficiency somewhere else. Right. And that's the nature of this roster right now. Like like there's a player, Mike, that I'd love to have back right now. And. That player, for as much as I've been talking about wings, and people might think I'm I'm going to talk about Trevor Ariza here, the guy I'm actually super interested in getting back is Kendrick Nunn, defensively, because I want another guy who can help slot players differently into different spots on the floor and not give anything up in order to make the team better in in those other areas. But but I'm interested in hearing your thoughts about the Lakers defense, Mike, because I think this is going to be a talking point all season based off of a Vogel's want to play high level defense and the difference between what he wants it to be and sort of where it's at right now. So what Vogel keeps talking about, at least the last couple of days, is this concept that we brought up the other day of the low man and the low man habits. And in the way that he tells it, if they once they get those sharp, then everything else flows a little bit better. And basically, you don't have to have your perimeter defenders as great. Well, I may be this is probably an exaggeration to say it this way, but if you've got really good low man habits, you can be more aggressive with the guys in the perimeter and they can just mm-hmm. kind of pop out and mm-hmm. and sort of have the help behind them. Because we know that none is none is in THC to an extent do help, I think, on the perimeter, but they're not still at that level of Caruso, certainly, or, you know, even a, a Danny Green or to an extent a KCP. So can they can you make up for what is on the perimeter with better low man habits? And so that's one concept I'm focused on now. But generally speaking, I think that I'm I'm just trying to shift the pendulum some and think that there's some more upside on offense with this spread group. And therefore, you don't have to be quite as good defensively. But that that does provide some worry, Pete, heading into a postseason when we know that the level of defense that they had was you know a big reason why they won. Absolutely. It's a it's a gambit. Right. And then it becomes a question of how good does your defense have to be? Where is that line of we're, we're not going to be what we were two seasons ago when we won the title or even last year as a defensive team? But where do we need to be? We also didn't have the ability for somebody to come off the bench and drop 17 a game and be this kind of perfect complement as a shooter to our best two players in LeBron and AD on, on a ball screen. I'm so glad you brought up the low man habits and the specific low man habit that Vogel's talked about a lot are low man collisions. 
after the San Antonio game, Darius, you'd brought up a play where Malik Monk was late on a rotation. This is a career high game for Jakob Pertle, who's not a particularly adept offensive player. We're just killing us on the pick and roll in that game. And that was a low man collision situation where Malik Monk was supposed to come over and he was late on his rotation. But I would also argue that asking Malik Monk at six foot 190, whatever he weighs, to make a low man collision against Jakob Pertle in the paint. Because if he would have been there on time, that, that low man collision would have happened in the paint where he has to get belly up, he has to contest, raise up, go up with two hands, do your best, right? That's, that's such a discrepancy in size between the players that having Malik Monk do that is more of a wish than a plan. And so that speaks to the level of talent defensively that we have on the team this year. We've got a lot of guys with glaring holes or glaring weaknesses, even if it's just physically, there's nothing that they can do about it. Now with Monk, he's got some awareness issues where if you're small and you're losing your man on back cuts and you're like, you're probably not going to play as, as much. So in his particular instance, I don't know how, how translatable that is into those playoff situations that you were talking about, Mike, but that's something where accounting for let's talk about Carmelo, Carmelo Anthony in particular, because he's the guy where we have found some gold in him offensively. And that Mike was saying, you know, the value of that, maybe you don't have as much defense, but we are going to need to have Melo on the floor. If you look at his net ratings from the last few playoff series, it's bad. It's like negative 10 and worse for the last four or five playoff series. And that speaks to the idea of like, oh, we're playing the Lakers or Melo's team over and over again. We're going to single him out and pick and roll coverages. And so that's what I want to talk about is Melo in particular. It's like, how do we get to Melo, Melo to good enough? Like, what can you do? What can we build around in Melo's skill set defensively that can help him reach that line of good enough on defense to warrant his offense? Adjusting to targeting is different to me than what the baseline level of defense that he needs to play in order to be an effective defender over the course of even a regular season or or even a playoff series, right? Because what do you mean by adjusting to targeting? So if teams are going to target mellow and they're going to say, we're going to put you in pick and roll after pick and roll after pick and roll, right? Especially at the point of attack, the Lakers are going to start to scram mellow out of that. They're going to start to trap. They're going to start to do things where they're just like, okay, you want to play this way? You want to target this sing, single dude? Well, then we're going we're gonna to gum up the game in the exact same way you're trying to gum up the game, right? You want to make it a one-on-one -on -one game with, you know, your elite guard versus Carmelo Anthony? Yeah, we're not playing that game. You might want us to sit back on our heels, but no, we're not going to let you do that. I don't want to say I'm less worried about that because once it starts to happen, then we'll see how able the Lakers are how capable they are of responding and playing well enough in those situations to either get the team out of those looks like the offensive team out, out of those looks or, 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 or just have mellow score enough where it's just like, okay, well we're getting 1.5 points per 100 possessions on offense with mellow on the floor and we're giving up 1.25. Right. And right, so, which isn't th good, but yeah, 1.25 number is right. terrible, but yeah. if, but if you're, but if your offensive rating is 150, then guess what? You're going to keep playing Carmelo Anthony. And that's just how it's going to go. The type of stuff I'm more worried about Pete with Carmelo isn't the I'm targeting you at the point of attack. It's the I'm targeting you with weak side actions. 
Right. This is how Gobert got targeted a lot in that Utah Clippers series where it's like you don't go right at a guy, but if you can target a guy by putting him in a help situation that he's not good at. And I, I think that's what you're talking about here. Yeah, I, I can't remember what game it was. Actually, I do remember what game it was. I think it was the Thunder. And there was a layup that they got near the end of the game that was sort of crucial to sinking the game for them. It might have been Josh Giddy who got they ran a first action and then they ran and off of that first action, it turned into a dribble handoff for Giddy, and Giddy came right downhill, and he got a layup, if I'm recalling correctly. And Mello was the secondary defender on that action where Giddy came downhill, and then Mello was late, right? And that was a targeting of Mello that did not have yes. to do with let's 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 try to find a switch on him, or let's let's bring him out on the floor. The stuff I'm more worried about with Melo is, can he be locked in enough defensively where his awareness is up to the point where he's just in the right place more often? Because the point you brought up about Malik Monk, and Mike, I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts about this part too, is Pete, you said Monk is just too small for certain situations, right? Like, hey, yeah, rotate against a big dude, too bad. Yeah, he's right? just going like, to go over the top of him or through him, yeah. Melo's like 6'8", 6'9", right? And, and so there are physical battles that he's going to be able to win just based off of being bigger, right? Like this is the argument that people have made about like Luka versus Trey Young for a long time defensively. And people are just like, well, you know, if you watch Luka, Luka's not so much of a better defender than Trey Young, right? Like what is their defensive value if both these dudes get lost, if both these dudes can be targeted and the final answer is basically yeah well lucas six seven 240 pounds like he's gonna win more of these post-up battles more of these switch battles more of these battles on the backboards like he's just gonna win more of those because he he's a bigger dude so for me with mellow i'm more like look man just can you be in the right place can you jump when you're supposed to jump can't can can you just be an impediment at times, because if you can, and I think that's what Vogel's asking of him, Mike, is like, get to the spot that you're supposed to be, and guys around you are going to help you. Do your job the best way that you can. And if you're doing it at a baseline level, the defense is going to function well enough for us to get the stops that we want. I think that's what he was doing in the game where he had the four blocks and the two steals, where he was just kind of digging into the middle and... I think it was part of the, partly in the low man assignments yes, there. Yes, it was. was. Mm -hmm. yeah, and so he's got he was, those quick hands, yeah. So he's playing at the four. So that is a little, I guess that's a little tease, a little formula. I think a lot. I think some of those plays could have been called fouls. And I don't know, once you get a higher level of offensive player, how he holds up there. But that is at least a blueprint, maybe, where he can hold up okay there. But I, this is where I still get back to the roster part of it. And if, you, if you're kind of wishing that a guy's going to be able to come through and just survive on that end, then I think you do have to have somebody that you can trust and know that's going to hold up on that end that's available. And maybe that is Ariza. If Ariza can't get to that level, then maybe you do need to make at least one move to have one guy there. In the meantime, you just sort of live with what you have and you hope that Melo holds up as well as he can. And, you know, same thing on the perimeter. You hope that THT, for example, we've been talking, we haven't talked about him because he hasn't played in this season, but we talked about him all off season as can he level up defensively to the point where you don't have to take him off the floor in certain matchups. So there's a lot of the if in, in kind of 
to kick back to how Darius likes to see these things, well, I want to see it. And I want to see it over the course of X amount of games. Otherwise, you know, that's that might be something that has to be addressed personnel wise. And part of that, part of what will address that will be guys returning from injury to a certain extent, but that will only go so far. Let's take a quick break. I want to talk more about the idea of some of the options of playing more conservatively to get production without having to scramble around and fly around all the time. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So as you guys know, I've been advocating switching since the beginning of this roster really being put together. And part of it is that it provides a certain degree of it's it's not that it's like, oh, everybody's going to, you know, you switch Carmelo Anthony out onto somebody and they're going to get locked down out on the perimeter. Those are situations where we've been trapping and that turns into a scramble situation or else Melo's going to get beat. Right. He's got to play off of a guy. He's and if they've got to pull up jumper, they've got a very clean look there. If he plays up too close, you're in rotation now. There's all sorts of problems that come from that. So I don't necessarily think that switching with Melo on the floor, I think you can do it if you're trapping, but I think it's really important that we find, again, some of those conservative defenses that can at least hold up. Maybe they're not as good as the trapping units, but can just hold on. And so switching with other units, though, like having a switching group allows fewer low man collision situations. You have to make fewer reads. I think we need a zone look. Uh, This is something I've been really advocating, especially with the mellow. If we're going to play mellow and Dwight together, they both have kind of the foot speed of a five and a slower five at that. And so I think the place that it, that it gets built out from D is the, well, what can you do defensively? What do you see again from that? Like that, more conservative, that staying back, not having to scramble. What are some of our options and what can these guys do even because I think there are more holes than than the previous seasons, obviously. I just think that they're going to have to be as sharp as they can within the limitations that they have, man. Like, like I'm all for switching more. I think the Lakers do have a switching lineup, right? Um, 
AD, LeBron, Russ. It starts with those three guys. I I think all three of those guys can switch. Um, I I actually think that you can switch some with Melo on the floor. It's just that the thing about a switching defense is the Lakers are never going to switch or switch the way that the Houston Rockets did or the Golden State Warriors did, right, when they were at their best defensively. I think the Lakers need to be more choosy. And and I think that this is how you probably get to your answer, Pete, in terms of, like, what's what's a more conservative style that the Lakers can play? I think they need to be more malleable within the things that they can already do and apply them more in, in more targeted ways based off of opponent rather than saying, this is our one single base look and we're going to do this all all of the time. Right. And so even within a switching group, there are going to be times where the Lakers have have switched this year. But guess what? DeAndre Jordan's been on the floor or Dwight Howard's been on the Mm -hmm. floor. So instead of switching one through five, they've switched one through four. That's right. There have been times where they've switched just on on guard to guard exchanges. Right. Like or forward to forward exchanges where these are similar matchups. Like, no, you you take this guy out. There have been times, too, where having defensive IQ players like LeBron is great at this. He's been scramming players out of of matchups where if a guard does get switched on a big and then LeBron is low man, then he will kick out the guard who got switched on to the big and kick him out to his matchup, which is usually going to be a wing. And then LeBron will take the bigger dude to who, who is now in the paint and is a more of an offensive rebounding threat. Mm -hmm. So there is more in play communication. And Mike, this is a point that AD has brought up a ton post game over the last week or so about, we need to get our communication better. We need to talk more. We need to, we, we really need to, to, to be on it so that we're all on the same page because that's how we're going to avoid mistakes and play to our best ability. Yeah, and so just the mention of AD, and then I think I put LeBron, playoff LeBron into this context, is how much of those two allow for the cleaning up of everything else? And just basically when you really have to get a stop, if Anthony Davis is on the floor, you're already ahead of a lot of teams, even if they're really sound as a structure and even if they've got kind of like more solid one through five guys he just to me is such a difference maker there on those possessions that I and I wonder how much dependency that you have on him and how much you build around him but it's just a it seems like a really simple and obvious point Pete but I I still when I would like when I would think about Lakers versus Clippers the last couple years and people I know a lot of people in the larger media sphere would be picking the Clippers and I'm like well I, I still see AD as the impediment there where Kawhi and Paul George are just going to have to keep shooting jumpers and he can still get inside. And so to, I, hate, I, I hate to take this out of your more astute point here, but he is kind of where I still I think most about when I think about the Lakers building the defense behind what Vogel does. That's certainly the case. I, I suppose this gets into that concept we talk about all the time of innings eating, right? Where if we do need to stop, I feel really good about our ability to do that, about AD and LeBron on the back line in rotations. Like they're really where our gold is and that yeah. they can they can 
they're two guys on help side defense that can totally cover three between the two of them. So when you're trapping on the ball, you could not do better than LeBron James and Anthony Davis in rotations. The innings eating idea is that like we can't ask them to do that all the time yeah. for 82 games a season. And like when we need it, if it's the close game in a close game and we've already seen this this season, several of our wins have been like, oh, we were down eight in the third quarter and then we just pick and rolled them to death and did what we do really well, what we kind of have and then picked up the W, but I don't want to be down eight in the first place. I want to be able to have Anthony Davis not have to fly around and do crazy shit all the time on defense. Same with LeBron in order for us to be like, okay, defensively. And that's really what I'm going for with these groups. D is that idea of, can we get to okay with a more conservative style? And this really plays into the idea of playing two bigs and playing the drop type of coverage. I don't think we have the big to do it. Like if I could pick a player, it would be a rim protecting five that was like really good at it because that, that is a version of that conservative style of play the no roller behind drop, you know, keep them in front of you, protect the rim. It's how the starters have played. I would just argue we don't have the guys to be able to do that, the personnel to do that. So yeah, that's, that's where I'm at on that. So talk to me more then about personnel issues, right? Because no roller behind works for two different reasons, not just because of the big, but because of guards who can get over the top, right? And so you need the guard to get over the top because if the guard can't get over the top, right? And like, I wish we had a video for this, right? But it's just like the defensive guard and the defensive big, they work in tandem, Right. And and they work in tandem in the same way that the pick and roll ball handler and the roll man work in tandem. There is a chemistry that those two guys need together in order to play off of each other. And in Frank Vogel's ideal world, the guard fights over the top of the screen and stays connected enough with the ball handler that he is giving side or back pressure in order to complicate the reads and the sh- and and the potential shot either pull up jumper or or being able to get into the paint and shoot a floater or all the way to the basket to disrupt that shot so that the big can ultimately recover back to to his original assignment which is the rolling big man Right. But what's been happening too often this year, Pete, is that that guard has not been getting over the top effectively and he's not been recovering to the guard. The guard has then the the guard with the ball has then been engaging the Lakers big enough with the dribble. And then the and then the big is caught in no man land. Right. He is like, oh, if I step up then the lob is there or the offensive rebounding chance is there. And if I lay back, then the, then the guy with the ball gets an easier shot, right? And the Lakers have been getting killed with that. Not a lot over and over and over again, but enough that it's really been hampering the Lakers' de- defense. And so this is one of the reasons why I've really been wanting to see Kendrick Nunn. Kendrick Nunn, I was just going to bring him up. Yeah. Right? And then, so talk to me some about why Nunn might be important in this. In, in Because I don't think the Lakers are going to go out and get another big guy. They've got two on the roster right sure. now, and we're already talking about not playing one of them. We talk about it every sure. podcast, right? <laughs> and, and, and so... so I think that the Lakers need more perimeter solutions, honestly. And so talk to me some about none and where you see that potentially being important. None would be helpful. Like, Ja kicked our ass, and Ja's kicking everyone's ass. But, like, 
you'd rather not have Kent Bazemore be the guy assigned to John Morant. He's just too quick for a guy, a guy like Bazemore. None can be helpful against those types of guys. And in terms of fighting over the top in the, the types of defensive coverages that you're talking about, there are two ways to do it. There's the big and physical way where you're plowing through that screen, where you you know, you're running your shoulder defensively into their shoulder or into their ribs. Alex Crusoe. Alex, yes, Crusoe. Alex Crusoe. Plow through it. Danny Green, another yes. guy who was Derek Fisher that. did this too. Yes. Like he was smaller, but he was built of granite. Yes. And, and so this is Russell Westbrook at his best defensively is when he's at his be- his his best defensive trait, aside from the ability to operate in scramble situations, force turnovers, do free safety type of stuff is when he's engaged, he will get through that screen and be able to provide back pressure. And he's probably the best guard in the game in helping in the rebounding battle there, because one of the things that happens is if the guard takes that shot in against that big that the our guard the defensive guard has to win a rebounding battle on that peel off switch with the big russ has been great on the defensive boards for us the last couple of games winning some battles that a lot of guys wouldn't win and so that's one brand of defender now russ does not have great technique and so he will get he will get picked off. He will get hit by that screen in a way that creates a lot of separation. And that's a situation you're talking about, D, where like you're not providing any back pressure. And that's a it's either a free floater from eight feet out and and the no roller behind means that the big man's job is to not let the roll guy on the pick and roll get behind him. So he's just going to give that up. And so in some ways we can get frustrated at DeAndre Jordan, like, why didn't you contest that floater? And really that's his job. That's more of a back pressure thing. With none, the other way to get through screens is to get skinny, right? And it helps when you start skinny, right? None is not a very big guy. And so that ability to get over and chase, he's not going to provide the back pressure from the size hovering over like that great Danny Green play in the finals on Goran Dragic, where he combined with AD and AD got the block. None's not big enough to do that, but he is going to be able to stay attached to to shooters and to smaller guys in a way that can he's not going to get picked off by that screen nearly as much. So, Mike, he's a guy that Darius always talks about that idea of slotting none. If I could pick one guy to come back, I actually think none should start. I, I would I would think that he's uh, would be great with the starting unit, but he's a, a player that I think is going to help us enormously. Where are you at on on Kendrick Nunn and where he kind of fits in now that you've seen more of the team? So I I think that part of what the idea of Nunn right now is that we haven't seen him a lot. And so we're we're sort of filtering towards some of the more optimistic views about what he can be. (laughs) And I so I watched him a lot. I mean, not a ton, though. I watched him a lot in Miami. And I thought like I would generally if I had to say, do I generally like him as a player? Yes. But do I do I like him to the point where I'm I'm thinking that he plugs right in as that starter and he's kind of the guy that you can kind of defensively that I don't know yet. I it's just relative to what the other options are. That's where I'm with you. You know, so I yeah, I that's see where that. I'm at. I, like there are flaws there for sure. Yeah. So but you're so you're right. You know, it's it's just that. So you're right. But how right are you? Like how how much is this a guy that <laughs> yep. we can? And, and part of that thinking is just that Miami and they had a particular roster where it made sense to let him go, especially once they got Kyle Lowry and they've got Tyler Harrow coming off the bench. And clearly they expected him to make a leap, which he has. And they had Duncan Robinson plugged in as a different type of guy to start. So that would have been like, I think that was a savvy move for the Lakers in that sense of a guy that could play a bigger role, but they happen to have a great six man um, and a, an excellent starting point guard. So 
great. You know, that's where that's the type of place where you want to plug a uh, plug a guy or pull a guy off of a roster. It's just I I hate to seem coy about it, but I just I want to see it more. But the concept of it is definitely I'm definitely with you on Pete, and I'm even trying to think of. Okay, hold on. So two to three weeks. I think it was October 22nd when we heard about the injury. So you know we're it's we're still we're still in that early part of the two week period, but we're starting to get there to the point where like Vogel hasn't had updates on him, which means that we're not at the at the point. But I'm I'm curious where he's at with the knee, and since it's a bone bruise, sometimes those things can like it's not a tear of a muscle. But sometimes bone bru- uh, bruises can continue to be problematic and basically just the bruise continues. And so I don't know how soon that he's going to come back. And that's the other element to this that we have to wait and see on. Mike, just to clear up the timeline, um, Basketball Reference had it as October 21st, Kendrick Nunn to be reevaluated in two to three weeks. So today, the fourth is actually two weeks. And so we would be at the very early, early part. If he was actually being reevaluated in two weeks, it would be today in theory, right? Today or tomorrow. If it's more right. like three weeks, then, the end. Yeah. Yeah. Then, then next week, right? And so hopefully yeah. within the next seven or eight days, none will be reevaluated and we'll have an update about what his status is. For me, Pete, I, I'm, I'm still looking at roster questions with this team. It's it's funny. I go to the NBA stats page and I and I do this thing called impact stats, right? And it's not what you think it is. It's it's like what you do is is you're able to choose players off of the same team or from different teams and see how the team and those individual players perform when so, like, I'm choosing LeBron and Anthony Davis, and then on the other side, I'm choosing DeAndre Jordan and Russell Westbrook, right? And I'll then get a readout of how the Lakers perform when LeBron and AD are on the court, but and DeAndre and Russ are on the court as well, how they perform when they're off the court, and then what the Lakers stats look like and all of that with the same deal, right? And I was just like where are the rest of the players for me to choose from on this? And it's because none of them have played any minutes, man. And so there's literally only 10 guys. I'm just like, this isn't the whole roster. It's like, not. like, where's the rest of the guys? But it's because none of them have played. Like, none of them have any data, so they're not even a part of the data set. So they're not even giving you a chance to, to choose these guys. And, and so I hate to keep harping on, like, the injuries. And, like, us, we talk about roster issues every single day when we record the pod, but it's because like literally one third of the roster isn't available. And any team's going to have roster issues when that's the case. Yeah. And, and it's hard for me to figure out what this team actually needs. And that's why Mike, we are projecting, Oh, maybe it'll work like this, or maybe it'll work, work like that. And it's not even like we got a good preseason sample of all of these guys playing, playing together because the Lakers didn't treat preseason as like a prep period for the regular season at all. Dude sat out then, and then dudes got hurt. And it was just like, okay, well we got eight guys. Let's go play with these dudes today and then (laughs) all of the guys who got exhibit 10 contracts like let's see how mac mcclung looks it's just like nah man that ain't the deal right now that's not going to give us any information for the regular season And, and so i'm still hopeful and cautiously optimistic that some of these dudes who were valued for what their potential contributions were going to be to this team actually will prove to be valuable and that they will actually be able to help. And if they can't, then maybe the team will look different 
after the trade deadline, right? But I, I really want to see, can THT help? Can Kendrick Nunn help? Can Trevor Ariza help? Those three guys especially, because the idealized versions of them can be super useful to this team on both ends of the floor, but particularly defensively, I think, just from a slotting standpoint and giving the Lakers way more versatility than, than they've had to this point in the season. Yeah, it's funny because we're getting used to this being this year's version of the team, and it's not. We just haven't seen the full version, which isn't to say that someone else won't get hurt and we won't have. That's the nature of a season. But we've got so many, like, I would estimate that none is, and THT are both about 24-minute-per-game guys. Ariza's in probably the high teens, let's say 16 minutes per game. And so right there, you're looking at 15, 56 rotational minutes between those three guys. And so the things will look very different. Different. And these lineups will look very different. And part of the ways in which we've been bad on when we're playing conservative type defense is when it's Malik Monk and Carmelo Anthony and DeAndre Jordan all in the same lineup or Rajon Rondo is in there, too, where eventually we just kind of like run out of dudes that are really like we've got two, three bad defenders in a, in a lineup. And I don't care how good you are as a coach defensively like it. You can account for one guy during the regular season, maybe two. Once you start getting three in there or really, honestly, even two, you're going to get into some trouble. Uh, but this idea of being able to be stout defensively, not great, not the team that we were the last couple of years, but just be able to hold on without AD and LeBron and Russ and all these guys flying around all over the place. We've looked good in, in those situations when we've locked in, or at least we're getting better. That's something I'm going to be really keeping my eye on for over the next five to 10 games. I'd love to revisit this topic with you guys in a few weeks, that idea of our conservative defenses and how they're performing. We've got OKC tonight. We'll be back tomorrow to cover what happened. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you next time. Happy birthday, Mike. Happy birthday, Mike. Appreciate it, fellas. Happy to be your freshman. James <laughs> has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. A lot of Laker fans well, sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Ryan spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, two one. Listen. Unbelievable. It's over. And shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James.
putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.